Holy Spirit, as we listen to you in your word now, please help us to see Jesus as we meet him in this part of the Bible today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Where will you be watching? Where will you be watching the coronation of King Charles from? On one of the outdoor screens in Nottingham? Or with friends and family? Well, maybe some of you have been invited to him itself, I don't know. Thousands of people are invited to the ceremony itself, including all of the heads of state around the world. Tens of thousands more will line the the many streets that will be closed in London for the King's procession to Westminster Abbey. Westminster Abbey, where every English and British coronation since 1066 has happened. The King's coronation is an event and a time that requires a remarkable amount of preparation and planning and detail. Preparing the 700-year-old chair, which is, which is of gilded oak, that King Charles will sit upon. 700 years old. Preparing the crowns, the oil, There's also a coronation concert and initiatives such as the Big Lunch and and Big Help Out over the course of the weekend that are encouraged. Well, today, on Palm Sunday, we're looking back to a very different presentation of a king. So please uh, do keep open John's account of that time, page 1079, John chapter 12. A very different presentation of a king. It was the time of Passover, the great festival. It was an exciting and a tense time anyway. But this particular year that we've been reading about, the atmosphere was electric. There were swarms of people coming to see Jesus. What a context for the presentation of the king, a new king. Expectations abounded. And it was in this heady atmosphere that the crowds in Jerusalem for the Passover festival hear that Jesus was on his way to the capital city. They'd heard of him. Some of them had even seen and experienced the amazing things that he'd been doing. Healing, teaching, even raising Lazarus from from the dead. And people were turning away from dead religion and they were finding life in Jesus And hopes were being raised in lots of different ways. Hopes were being raised as the oppressed people of Israel were wondering, could it be that Jesus is the leader we have been waiting for? Is he the one who will finally kick out the invading Romans with all their oppression? Is Jesus the one who is going to set us free from enemy occupation. That's the atmosphere that all this happened in. So we read verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. 
They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Do you sense that anticipation, that excitement? And as the crowds went to meet Jesus, they took palm branches. They took palm branches just as they had done at previous times in their history when there had been promising political revolts. And they shouted words and phrases from Psalm 118, that psalm that we read part of at least earlier. Hosanna, which means save, probably on on this particular day, save in the sense of save us or save, I pray. And all this was drenched with the expectation amongst the crowd of political action, of revolution against their enemies, the Romans. And their cries were full of anticipation as they saw Jesus coming as their deliverer. And they were expecting Jesus to issue a call to rise up and resist the hated Romans. That's the atmosphere in which Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. That was their crowd's expectations. And amidst all of this, Jesus very carefully signals his intent. Verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Those are words that were written 500 years earlier than this by the prophet Zechariah. It's what John refers to in verse 15. And in doing this, in his action, Jesus is identifying himself as the king that God had promised to send to save his people. Jesus, in his actions, is signaling that he is the long-awaited Messiah, that he is God's king. Jesus is signaling that, yes, he is God's expected king. He is the king that people should be expecting. And yet also, he is the kind of king that the people were not expecting. Jesus was and is also an unexpected king. Jesus was a new kind of king because, yes, the donkey had royal significance. But this king was entering the city on a donkey, not on a war horse. He was entering the city on a donkey, not in an iron chariot or a battle tank, or a jet bomber. He was entering the city on a donkey, an animal of peace, a humble animal, a donkey. Jesus was a new kind of king, and he was drawing a distinction between himself 
and all of the other world conquerors, past and present and future. There is no other king like this king. Jesus is an unexpected king. The kind of king who enters a city on a donkey. Jesus is an unexpected king and his followers at the time, they just didn't get this. It was only later that they realized its significance. Look at verse 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. All the crowds, the crowds, they were assembled with great enthusiasm and expectation. But meanwhile, the religious leaders were just exasperated, verse 17. Now that the crowd that was with him and with Jesus when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. King Charles, back in February, I don't know if you saw this on the news, but King Charles visited a mosque, I think it was in London, in February. But it wasn't the visit itself that caught people's eye. Obviously, royals visit lots of uh, buildings, and uh, including places of worship. But what made it a story was when, when the king took off his shoes in the mosque, it was... It was evident, and photographs were taken, that, that the socks that the king was wearing had a hole in them. The king has socks that have holes in them. Isn't that great? Isn't that reassuring? Now, we might not expect a king to have holes in his socks, but just the general response seemed to be, that, well, it just showed like the king is just like most of us. The king has holes in his socks. Well, the people at the time of Jesus had their expectations of what King Jesus would be. And Jesus took those expectations and turned them upside down. Jesus is a new kind of king. So let me ask what kind of expectations do we have of King Jesus today? What do you expect of Jesus today? Someone who will make your life just a bit more comfortable. Or someone who will act as a kind of life coach so you can pursue your goals. Or maybe someone as kind of a general spiritual guide. Is that how you see Jesus? Or even just as some kind of good luck charm. What do we expect of Jesus today? Well, Jesus is a new kind of king. And none of those expectations that I've just mentioned would he meet, but rather something far better. 
And if we have expectations of Jesus like that, then he will turn them upside down. Because he's a new kind of king. And we see this in the rest of those, the verses in this passage as we learn about life in Jesus' kingdom, under his kingship. Let's have a look at verse 20 onwards. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Presence, uh, presence of those from Greece, at, uh, uh, people from a Greek background at the Passover wasn't unusual. The Greeks at the time had a reputation for being seekers after truth. And here we're told that they really wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to hear more from him. They wanted to understand, to pursue. And let me say that if you're here uh, today and you're looking into the Christian faith, then let me say that it's wonderful that you're here and you're so welcome to be amongst us. And let me say too that you should follow the example of the Greeks that are in, mentioned in this passage because it's Jesus that you need to come to, to listen to in his word. You might have lots of great questions about life, the universe, and everything, but at the heart of all of those questions and at the heart of all of those answers is Jesus Christ, who he is why he came. We would like to see Jesus. We would like to see Jesus. In this room alone, we have people from dozens of different nations in the world. And in this part of John's account of Jesus' life, it's very deliberate that, that John wants us to, see, us to see that there are people who are not from a Jewish background, but rather Gentiles, which I imagine most of us are. John wants us to see that Gentiles are included in the invitation to Jesus' kingdom. Greeks were included in the events of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. If you cast your mind back to Christmas time, we read and we hear and we sing, don't we, that, that wise men from the east came to see the infant Jesus. And here, just before the first Easter, we read that, well, wise men from the west come to see Jesus too. Jesus truly is the king of the whole world. And he calls everyone to follow him. So whether you are from the east or the west or the north or the south, will you accept that invitation to come and see Jesus? Come and see Jesus. When leaders, particularly leaders in, in business or in, in politics, when they have very significant speeches to give, they and their scriptwriters will be working for days and nights on those big speeches. They'll carefully craft each sentence. Drafts will be edited over and over again. Sound bites will be prepared. 
Some of it at least will be released to the media beforehand. Social media posts will be carefully curated with sections of the speech that can be shared. (coughs) So imagine the expectancy then when Jesus finally does speak. Here's the big set piece occasion, Jesus. Come on, tell us, Jesus, what your plan is. Verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Well, he starts with a bang, doesn't he? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And if we were in the crowd that day, perhaps we'd be thinking, yes, this is it. This is it. The Romans are going to finally get what's coming to them. and We're going to be free. This is it. And then Jesus continues. Look at me with verse verse 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Perhaps there was stunned silence. Eyes wide open. Jaws dropped. It was a fairly simple illustration that Jesus used very easy to understand, especially in an agricultural society like theirs. You take a grain of wheat and you can't see what's in it. And yet each grain contains the possibility of multiple more offspring if it's good seed. And when it's sown, when it's planted, it's buried in the ground as if it's in a tomb. And only then, as it as it were, dies, does in time then the seed rise up in new life and much fruit as it's multiplied over and over again. Jesus was telling the the crowd that he would fulfill his kingly role by dying by dying and reproducing his life in others. He would rule by dying and extending his kingdom over millions of hearts, not square miles. Jesus was talking about himself as a very different kind of king, the king of a very different kind of kingdom. A kingdom, a king who would rule by dying, not by military conquest. And then Jesus includes us, his followers, in the principle this is life in his kingdom. This is the unexpected royal life that we're invited into. 
And Jesus puts it in very strong terms, love and hate. Obviously, he's not, he's not telling us to cultivate a hatred of life. No. Rather, he is telling us to die to ourselves. He's saying that we find life in all its fullness when we lose everything we've been holding on to. R. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on these verses, tells the story of George Muller. George Muller was a Christian who was very influential for the Lord. He brought many people to Christ. And over the years, he set up many orphanages. He established schools and, and so on. He was very influential for Christ. And somebody once asked George Muller, what has been the secret of your life? What has been the secret of your life? And this is how he replied. There was a day when I died. There was a day when I died. Died to self. My opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren or friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. There was a day when I died. As the songwriter put it, the wonderful cross bids me come and die that I, and find that I may truly live. So tell me, have you died? Have you died to self and found that you may truly live? Jesus is the unexpected king of an unexpected kingdom. And you know, we find this through the Bible that, that we live by dying to self. That the last are first. That the weak are strong. That leading is serving. And all of those things and more by the world standards are an, are an upside down kingdom. By the world standard, all of those things are an upside-down kingdom. And yet, as we follow Jesus day by day, strangely, we find that living like that is 
actually the right way up. The experience of human life as it should be. We find ourselves slowly, strangely, realizing that this is the way it should be. The last are first, the weak are strong. We lead by serving. We live by dying to self. A couple of years ago in Turkey, a man named Bayan Mutlu had been out with friends one evening. And afterwards, he wandered into a forest in Bursa province. province. He failed to return home, and his family and friends alerted the local authorities, and a, a search party was sent out, unbeknownst to Mr. Mutlu. He was still in the forest, and in the forest, Mr. Mutlu happened to come across the search party, and he decided to join them in the search for this missing person. A little later, as members of the search party began calling out his name, he replied, well, I'm here. And in some ways, that story, I think, illustrates the human condition. Desperately trying to find ourselves without really realizing we're lost. Augustine wrote these words. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Those words were written 1,500 years ago, but they remain true today. We're restless when we live for ourselves. We're restless when we put others down to lift ourselves up. We're restless when we crush the weak with our strength. We are restless when we lead by ab-using power. We're restless when we're like that. And we can only find rest when we come to Jesus, the unexpected king of a kingdom where we live by dying to self, where the last are first, the weak are strong, and leading is serving. To put it another way, we like to think that we are the king of our lives. We like to think that we weigh the wear the crown. But the truth is, we can't bear the weight of the crown. We were never meant to. That's why we can't bear the weight of being the king of our lives, because we were never meant to be the king. So rather we take off the crown of our lives and give it to Jesus. And that is good news because he can bear the weight. And he is the king. And we can remember that we have a crown to come to. 
Queen Elizabeth II planned her funeral arrangements very carefully. And her choice of, uh, of one particular hymn, I think it was near the close of the service that was at Windsor, was very striking and moving. It's the hymn we sang earlier. And the final words of that hymn say this. This is what the Queen picked. Changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. The unexpected royal life of following Jesus begins not with a coronation, but with a crucifixion. Although in some ways the crucifixion is the coronation, as we'll see on Friday evening. And may God lead every one of us into a royal life, a life of sacrifice, a life of much fruit. And as we do that, Remember those words that, that appear. Well, it seems to me as though they're virtually everywhere I look in the Bible. Do not be afraid. See, your king is coming. So whatever you face in life today, whatever you've walked through those doors, burdening you, carrying Whatever you face in life today, look to Jesus and do not be afraid. See, your king is coming. Let's bow our heads. And in a moment of silence, Talk to the king. Lord Jesus, we worship you <clears throat> as the King of kings. Our Lord, forgive us for trying to wear the crown. Thank you for inviting us to be part of your kingdom. And help us to delight in living this kind of kingdom life this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.